0: Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crypt, the crowdfunding podcast. Each week I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, March 17th, 2014. Dude, happy St. Patrick's Day. Imagine yourself some 10,000 years ago in the Middle East.
1: Your clan has left the ancient nomadic life and settled with four other clans in the valley. Once again, the community has been successful in harvesting crop, and
0: some families are getting better at raising animals. Next moon, we'll see the birth of a new generation of Okay, your name is Alexander? Yeah. And how do I pronounce the name of your company to make sure I get it right? Mage Company. Mage. Yeah. What does mage mean? Mage, it's like wizard. Oh, like wizard. Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of magical. I like that, man. Welcome to DJ Grandpa's crib, Alexander. Thank you very much. Now, how do I pronounce the name of your game? Hoyuk. Hoyuk. It almost sounds Alaskan or something.
1: The word is, uh, I think it's
0: Turkish. Turkish? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) But where are you? We are in Europe now. I know, no, I know you're in Europe, but is it Germany? Is it uh, The first part of the company is
1: in Bulgaria, but I'm Greek. The other partner is German and the other is Polish. So okay. we, are, <laughs> we are multi-global or something.
0: Why don't you tell me a little bit about the game, man, because I am very interested. Hoyuk was originally a print play game.
1: It was available since, I think, 2007. So I think a lot of people should play it. And we found it about uh, one year ago, with my partner Mike. Uh, So, Hojuku is basically a a tile laying settlement building game, where purpose is to build the best villas. But basically one of the strongest aspects of the game is its theme, because it's set in the Neolithic era, about 10,000 years ago, and that gives to the game another sense.
0: Now, what does that do for me, the Neolithic period? What, what is that? How does that set me back?
1: <laughs> you know, we have made the material of the games in such a way, you know, with the illustrations, we have created a story for each clan who tries to build the best village. And I think that all this work can take you back then, you know?
0: You guys are doing well on Kickstarter, man, but that's not to suppress the vote. They still want their money. So if I say they're doing well, that that doesn't mean not to go and check out the project. That means that you should go check out the project because everybody loves the winner.
1: At the same time, normally Kickstarter, we felt that uh, when we launched the campaign, a lot of people visited the campaign, it's okay. And uh, from the first day, we knew that, uh, okay, this game can be a success or something. But at the same time, we ran a second campaign on another platform in Germany. So we may have divided the Europeans from the Americans, you know, the Canadians. Yeah, we ran a, another um, campaign in Germany, on another platform for the German version of the game to localize it. So I think that the people who buy games from each company, I think that maybe, they may have divided or they watch both campaigns and they try to decide: should I go here or should I go there? Because both are the same, and each campaign super, uh, support support the child.
0: I saw on your page, man, that you said this campaign was EU friendly. Yeah. And now you're dividing the Americans from the from the Germans and stuff. How, how could you do such a thing? Uh, basically, uh, we don't. It is EU friendly. <laughs> <laughs> hey! <laughs> It is, it is, it is. No, 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 no. hold on, hold on. Let's get let's get to the actual point. Yeah. I am glad that you brought that up, and I'm glad to interview you because you are the first campaign that I'm having on the show that has that EU-friendly sticker on it. Oh. I've been trying to get a company, a gaming company, to come on and talk about that, but all of them ignore me so far, so you guys stepped up to the plate. A lot of people don't know it, but there's this little battle, this little war, this little game going on on Kickstarter. Whereas... Our European backers are saying, you guys aren't making this game accessible to us. And a lot of campaigns over the last six or eight months have stopped shipping to Europe, period, because of all the shipping prices and the the complexity of it. So I'm starting to see almost 10 campaigns now, yours being one of them, that says EU-friendly. How did you work it out and other campaigns seem to not be able to ship to Europe?
1: That was a lot of work, (laughs) but... The first time we launched the campaign,
0: okay, we
1: had our vendor in USA, but we already had searched and we already knew that people complained, and not only in Europe, but in Australia, I mean, come on, someone in USA, and it's okay, I can accept that, can take the game freely. All right, but the Australian folks should pay 30, 40 dollars something to get a game. So we talked with Mike, we found very nice people in Germany, Spiele Schmidt, who helped us a lot. So, we create three shipments with games. Right. The first shipment goes to America, for the people who live, of course, uh, in USA, Canada, and countries like Peru, Argentina, and Brazil. And the second shipment goes to Germany, and from there, we send to the people in Europe. And the third, and this is something new for us, because we started this year, the third shipment starts from China, Hong Kong, and we will send the games from Hong Kong to Asia and Australia. So all the people around the world will save taxes, extra costos, or anything. So I think now we have everything under control.
0: Wow, you guys are geniuses, man. You mean the Mage Company thought of that all by themselves? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can accept that. Because somebody had to step up. I'm telling you, there was about to be a civil war going Well, I don't know if you can call it between continents a civil war, but, but there was <coughs> about the war going on. I saw some very angry backers, man. And I mean, I'm not smart enough to figure that one out, so I'm glad that you and your partner, Mike, figured that one out man and it it makes an even better story for me man so congratulations to you guys man and i'm i'm loving seeing those stickers all over kickstarter now because (laughs) it brings the community back together and for those people who don't know kickstarter is a community i think it's good to listen to people
1: anything they have to say it's something important it doesn't matter if they scream or they love you, you have always to listen. What they have to say is not everything for money. I think sometimes you have to think more than that.
0: We have to find a way to you know to connect everyone. And you guys are not gonna lose a bundle on this. You have a shipping alternative and you're gonna make money off of this. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, I guess that's as clear cut as I can get that one. But all right. Now what makes this game fun though? I know it's a below-the-belt type of question and all of that, but...
1: The game itself, because it's language-independent, it's very, very easy. I mean, a kid can play it, but also a gamer can play it, and especially because we have created advanced rules for those who want something more. Right. Uh, One other thing is um, the negotiation. I mean, the game is not cooperative. It's competitive, but at the same time, you have to negotiate with other players to follow you uh, in the playing area where you build in order to gain more points. But at the same time, you want to to defeat, to destroy your rivals. So <laughs> yeah. this is a little tricky. And here is uh, where the catastrophe cards come. I mean, you have built your plan in your brain. You say that, okay, I negotiate now and he will follow me and I will build my villa. And then a catastrophe, a volcano or a tornado comes and the block just smashed up, so
0: (laughs) no more plans. I've gotten a volcano right about now in my life, so I can understand that. (laughs) (laughs) The last thing
1: I think for the game is its huge board because it's a board about 60 by 80 uh, centimeter. It's like Arkham Burr or something,
0: (laughs) you need a lot of space. This is an interesting story. Man, I didn't know you were this interesting, man. I couldn't tell that through the email, man, that you were this interesting. You know,
1: there is so much your eyes can see in the game. Right. Uh, when I first played the game, there was no board, you know, because they're just
0: a uh, print to play. Oh, that's right. You said print and play, right?
1: Mike told me it means a board. So the playtesters told the same. And Mike told me, you know, why should make a board uh, similar to Arkham? Of course not. <laughs> something horror, but in the size of And I said to my wife, I mean, you need a table, a huge table, but we discovered that people really, really liked it. I mean, you cannot uh, watch something
0: else at the time, you just only play and it's your opponents, what they will do. I got to get a copy of this game. So this is starting to sound pretty cool. And I got plenty of people in my house to play it, man. I have like seven children, so we Whoa! Ha- yeah, man. God bless you. <laughs> Seven? Oh my. <laughs> well, I do need some help. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I accept the prayer. Thank you very much. Well, is there anything I that you feel I might have cheated you out of that I left out that you gotta get into this interview? I think one of the most important news about the game is that it was awarded back in
1: 2007 in France with the Parfumet Trophy, it's uh, the Game Designers Trophy and they just uh, test games for two weeks and Hojuk won the trophy. So I think that this is very important. And imagine that at that time, it was just a simple print play game with no extra
0: stuff Was it your property at the time when it won the award? Or is that what brought your interest to this game? You know, there are some games that have something
1: that you cannot explain. We usually look with my such games and when we found Hoyuk on Board Game Geek, we said, oh, my God, what is that? We created it, played it, and said, oh, my God, why is this game isn't published all these years? So we took it, and thankfully, the, the author of the, of the game, Pierre Canuel, is a nice guy, and he helped us a lot so far.
0: And for anyone out there, you're driving by a Kickstarter, and you need something to do, and maybe you haven't discovered the latest game, Hoyuk. It's by the Mage Company, and they're doing a lot of cool games on Kickstarter. And if you can't check them out, remember Hoyuk H O Y U K. And if you can't find them on Kickstarter, always go to djgrandpa.com, and we'll have links for Alexander and his incredible game company, Mage. That I've been trying to, I've been trying to talk to them for about a year. So somehow it finally worked out, man. The gods, the odds have somehow moved in our favor. Alexander, thank you very much for coming on the show, man, for taking the time. Thank you very much. Remember, we are the crowdfunding channel and we cover the globe.
2: Hello to all you crowdfunding gamers out there. Nearly a year ago, we at Nord Games set out to create a card game that had three important criteria. The game had to be very simple to learn and even simpler to play. It had to be set in fun and exciting genre with a unique style. The game had to become more and more intense as each turn passed until it became an out-and-out brawl between players for certain cards. After many months of design and Chris playtesting... from Nord Games
0: out of Santa Cruz, California, welcome to DJ in Grandpa's game, crib. Thanks for having me. No problem, man. We have this game called Steampunked. Time Machine. The Mad Scientist card game. Yeah, that's right. It Seems kind of Doctor Who-ish to me, so I always think that's cool. And one of the first things that struck me is that you have a guy on here in your updates page on Kickstarter, and he looks like Doc Ock. More face, he looks more like a kind soul, a Snoopy-ish Mad Baron type of guy, but he has these like arms flying everywhere, and that's where I'm getting the Spider-Man-ish Doc Ock part from. So, who is this guy?
2: The way it works is, anybody who's pledging at those various levels, they send us some source images that they want to use. So, he happened to send the source image that's attached to that update page, and then we ask him a few questions, like, what kind of accessories do you want? What kind of look do you want? And he just happened to mention mechanical arms, and that's what our artist came up with.
0: So, you can actually, um immortalize yourself in this card game.
2: Yeah, we wanted people to have the opportunity, especially people who were steampunk enthusiasts, to be able to be in this game and be able to use their own likeness, their own name, whatever name they want to choose, as well as work with us to develop their special abilities and stuff like that.
0: How long did it take you to kind
2: of devise this game? Game design is always uh, an organic process for me anyway. What do you mean by that? You don't just sit down and you have an idea that you write down in five minutes and that's the final version of the game. Right. The origin story of this game was that I was trying to just come up with any fun game that you're maybe dueling somebody or something like that. Right. And my wife turns to me and says, why are you always making games where you're fighting each other? How about you make a game where you build something? and so the two of us sat down and I said okay and we're both big fans of the steampunk genre and I said okay so let's say if we were trying to build something what would we build and she said well why not a time machine and I said that sounds awesome so you're talking like you know back to the future time machine she said no 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 like you know steampunk time machine and I said sounds good to me so we started from there and established the four card types right, but right. Essentially, from that one conversation, it kind of spun into establishing these cards. Okay, there's these cards, and each card costs you a different amount of energy to be able to play them, and certain cards can be played at certain times, and so on and so forth. But it really took, I would say, at least a couple months of playtesting and developing all the artwork for the game to figure out how it would actually play the best. Initially, you didn't draw cards at the end of your turn. Now you do, for example. Oh, the organic part. Trial and error. Well, we had a situation where people were running out of cards. And so we went, well, wait a minute. Would it really be that bad if at the end phase, everyone just drew back up to seven cards? And we tried it, and it worked much better. So that's what I mean by organic. You know, it sometimes takes a little bit of testing out the concept and building it better and better. Because if we just wrote down an idea and never actually improved on it, I'm not sure it would be a very good game. So
0: Chris of Santa Cruz, do you listen to your wife a lot?
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I value with my wife's opinion on games is she's not a hardcore gamer. She's a casual gamer. She likes to get into a game that's fun and simple and she doesn't have to be an expert at it to win. Okay. And I think that that appeals to a much broader group of gamers. So whenever it comes to new games that I'm designing, I always ask her, hey, what's your opinion on this? What's your opinion on that? And she gives me that feedback that I need because I'm more of a hardcore gamer. So she really does have a lot of good insights when it comes to game design.
0: Why don't you tell me, like, the basics, how we would play this game, steampunked?
2: punk Everyone choose which scientist they want to be. Each scientist has obviously a different persona, but they have different abilities and usually a different build list. After that, you shuffle the rest of the cards into a communal deck and everyone draws seven cards. First phase is the quackery phase. That's a type of card. So if I have any quackery out on the field that's face down, which means I used it last round, I would turn it face up.
0: Quackery allows you to do what?
2: Quackery gives you energy. So every mad scientist has one energy just for being a mad scientist, but they can acquire quackery, which will give them additional energy. Now, quackery is based on the quack medical devices from that time period. Things like snake oil and, you know, Uranium water, stuff like that. Okay. And so you use that energy to build your components. That's what happens in the main phase. Right. During that same phase, you can play action cards if you want to. And action cards do certain things like perhaps uh, you can break an opponent's uh, quackery, you can break right. an opponent's component, you can steal stuff from people, you know, or you can look at someone's hand. A lot of different actions are in this game. They're all designed to be used strategically in order for you to advance or even help your friend advance. So if you want to team up with somebody, you can go ahead and say, I'm going to help this person out by thwarting someone else trying to steal their component. So those are
0: dirty cards, They're almost like the Joker's Wild or something like that.
2: The core part of the game is to build your time machine, but those actions really come in handy when you're trying to protect your time machine from getting broken or you're trying to steal something from somebody else in order to complete your time machine. Yeah. And there are certain action cards that can be used when it's not your turn. They say something like, use it any but you have to have the quackery in order to use it, or the energy rather. So if you had quackery cards and your mad scientist card that you didn't use during your turn, you'd then be able to play this action card when it's not your turn. That's usually used for defense, so someone comes to steal your component and you play a defensive card that says, thwart that action.
0: Does your wife believe this game is fun? Because that's what I care about.
2: Yeah, she's actually in the game. She's one of the the core mad scientists in the game. Oh,
0: wow. You enshrined her. Yeah, I'm
2: in there too. (laughs) We wanted to start with a few people that we knew. Right. Because sometimes when your artist is trying to just make people up on the fly, they go with, you know, whatever's in their mind, but we really wanted to put ourselves into the game and say, yeah, there's my character, you know.
0: And I like what you said about the simplicity of the game.
2: Replayability in games is one of the most important factors. And so that's why we wanted to have multiple personas that you could play. We wanted to have all different variables, all different cards, as many different card types as possible without it being overwhelming and too confusing.
0: There's something else that you mentioned a little earlier. You spoke of, you spoke of the part of how your wife helped out with such and such or, you know, came up with such and such. But you also alluded to that almost every person who's in the room while you're designing something or creating something, is helping sculpt that product in some sort of way. yeah. And I mention that because I produce records, you know, music, producing yeah. records, stuff like that. Uh, that's more my thing. And no matter who's in the room, if, if they're seemingly not doing anything and may start humming or making a gesture, somehow they've influenced the record. They've changed something, some variable. And I catch on to that and I add it into the record. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of felt like a little bit of what you were talking about when you were talking about each person who's a game developer, all your friends, they're adding to the pot, they're taking out of the pot, you know, the soup or
2: whatever. What we're realizing is, and I think a lot of people are realizing the same thing, is you don't have to be a Parker Brothers or a Hasbro or these large companies to make quality games. And a small group of developers, our group is about eight people right now Uh, and we have anywhere from maybe five to twenty different ideas all kind of cruising around at the same time we're making prototypes and we're getting artwork done and stuff like that but you don't have to be a huge multi-million dollar corporation or firm or anything like that to make quality games and the gaming community and that's really what it's all about the community is very tight And if you have some good ideas and some good projects and stuff, you can do quite well and put your stuff out there. And if it's good and people enjoy it and stuff, then, you know, life is good. But I, I think that because of technology and where it is and social media and everything, we can produce these games and make real quality stuff and really just blow other things out of the water because of the creativity that can happen.
0: And all I want to say, if there's anybody out there, check out Steampunked, Time Machine, the mad scientist card game. And Christopher and his wife and his whole development team. I don't know, this game sounds like a lot of fun, man. And I, I love the part that you talked about the mechanics. It's by Nord Games out of Santa Cruz, California. And I say it that way only because it I don't know. It makes me feel good to say it that way. That's the only reason that I need. And if you can't find links for their project, Steampunked on Kickstarter, go to djgrandpa.com and we'll have links for Chris. I'm wishing you the best on KS, man. Thanks, DJ. Yeah, I remember you I'd like to thank all our guests I'd also like to thank our listeners each week we couldn't do it without you guys a special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams and to my mentor the mumbler for providing music to DJ grandpa's crib thanks to Jeffrey Banks Bertram Zeke and Zach Samal our assistant editors until next week so say we all The homepage for DJ Grandpa's Crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's Crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Vaughn Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcasts is AF Rufus.